and welcome to Movies, Films, and Flicks. I am Mark Hoffmeyer, and I'm very thankful for all of our listeners. Uh, over the last three years, we've really built a loyal audience, and I just appreciate all the, the time you spent to listen to us, listening to us talk about Kurt Russell, random movie awards, and, and Deep Blue Sea. So I figured I would do something to, you know, show my gratitude and show you how thankful I am with Thanksgiving coming up in the States. So I went ahead and I recorded a commentary for Deep Blue Sea, the 1999 shark classic directed by Rennie Harlan. I love this movie. I was uh, working in a movie theater when it came out in 99. I remember how crazy the audiences went for it and just yelling and jumping out of their seats. And it was just such a cool experience to watch. Also, it's the first DVD I ever bought. So I, you know, I still have it. I actually listened to the commentary by Rennie Harlan and Samuel Jackson on the DVD I got almost 20 years ago. And I wrote an article about the trip that Stellan Skarsgård takes after he gets his arm bit off. And that got picked up by Wired. Brian Raftery, Raftery uh, interviewed me about it. And it led to a lot of great opportunities. So throughout my life, like the last 20 years, Deep Blue Sea has just been one of my favorite films. I get the knocks on it. I totally understand the honest trailers and why it was on How Did This Get Made, but I still love it. I think just the the situations around me watching it and just the creativeness. I mean, Ebert loves it. I know that that doesn't mean a lot to much people, but Roger Ebert just said he loves it because of the surprises in it. And I think that that holds up. I mean, this is a $100 million movie that, I don't know, it doesn't get old, has good creature effects, has some good shocks. And so what we're going to do is I know a lot of you aren't going to be able are, are, don't have time to sit around and watch the movie and listen to my commentary. So I'm going to go through this movie and you can either listen to it. I'm going to try to give as much backstory, my opinions, my wild theories on it. But if you're also watching it, uh, here's what we're going to do. So right now I'm on the movie. Uh, I'm about to cue it up. I'm actually on one second right now waiting to press play. So if you want to watch this movie with me, so what uh, what we're going to do is, I guess, I'll go three, two, one, play. And when I say that, turn on the movie, and then you're going to listen to my tinfoil hat theories and love of this movie for an hour and 44 minutes. I, I, I Listen, right now you're probably thinking that's a long time, but at the end of it, you're going to be very thankful because, you know, this movie deserves it. And you're probably wondering, why shouldn't I just listen to the, the Blu-ray commentary with the director and Samuel Jackson? Well, I did a ton of research on this. I listened to those. I read every article. I've written a lot of articles. So I'm going to bring everything I possibly can into this movie. And I think you're going to love it. So here we go. Three, two, one, play. All right. So we're starting off. Like I said earlier, this movie was directed by Rennie Harlan, the dude who directed Cliff Die Hard, Cliffhanger, Long Kiss Goodnight, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. After listening to the commentary, I really found out how much love he had for this movie and how much love he has for uh, obviously Jaws and Jurassic Park and all of those. And even when he started off talking about this film, he was a little self-conscious because he didn't want to do it because it's similar to Jaws. But he's like, well, Jaws was released 24 years ago, so it's time for another great shark film. And I think he was successful in this. And as we're starting off, I always disliked the opening scene with the college kids on a catamaran just being college kids i i never thought it 
I don't know. I didn't really feel like it felt in. I know Harlan wanted it to be kind of like a homage to Jaws in the beginning with the college kids and you have college kids here. But as I was watching this movie again, I kind of came up on a theory that I think is correct. So if we're to believe that these sharks actually sunk a ship and herded humans to sink an entire underwater facility, then what I'm thinking here is, so this shark escapes, right? It's one of the smaller ones that gets out. And I think the point of it escaping was to see what the response time was from the crew of the Aquatica. So we escape. How far can I get before it tracks me down? Are there trackers on me? If I escape, is there a tracker? And you're going to think this is insane that sharks are thinking this. But the more you watch this movie, you're going to realize that they're really smart. They're basically uh, Alan Rickman, Hans Gruber from Die Hard. I mean, these guys are mustache twirling villains. Who, I guess they're not really villains because, you know, some people are going to say the scientists are these because they genetically, you know, deal with their brains, make them smart. That's beside the point. We'll get into it later. But this scene, I think this shark is simply attacking these college kids <laughs> because it's checking the response time to see how fast they can get to them. So right now, you know, I, I never liked it. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Why would this shark not completely obliterate this boat having seen everything? And I guess to make sense of it, I just think this shark is doing this to see what it can get away with before it's hunted down. Uh, interestingly enough is this movie was filmed at the Rosarita Studios in Mexico where they shot Titanic. So right now they're inside this massive water tank. And what I love most about this movie is there were a lot of scenes that were filmed in these water tanks where they would build sets above the tanks and then they would just drop the sets into the water to make it seem like water was rushing in. That's pretty ingenious. I love the way they did that. So right now the shark's jumping through. You have a teenager getting headbutted. Uh, another teenager falling. Uh, you, you're probably thinking that they're going to be eaten pretty quickly by this massive shark. But as we see, they're climbing up. They're swimming, 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 swimming. And I don't know how the shark got 100 yards away. Because I, I don't know. I don't get it. But it makes sense as far as, you know, whatever they're doing. So as we're, as we're going along here, you're going to see TJ, good old uh, Thomas Jane in this movie. Uh, he comes out and he manages to snag the shark, shoots two, uh, two harpoons into the shark and, and catches it pretty easily. The scene actually reminds me a lot of the Meg, where the people in the Meg just keep falling off of the boats. So these teenagers fall in, Thomas James comes out of nowhere snag this shark and as we watch the movie further on this shark could have really just taken off with this boat but it doesn't so i'm telling y'all this thing did this on purpose to see how fast tj or carter blake i'm just gonna call him tj or big pun because he was the punisher I, random random note all three punisher movies either have a 28 or 29 percent rotten, uh, rotten tomato score which is which is kind of a neat coincidence so we're coming in here we're actually meeting the supposed villain of the film, Dr. Susan McAllister, played by Saffron Burroughs. A lot of people say that she's the villain. She is the one who does this, this test. She is the one who pushes the trials further, as we find out. They should have had more time. Also, later on, she frees the shark, which I wonder if the shark, that was the shark's plan all along, to go up there and do that and be like, yo, Saffron Burroughs is going to let me go. So I'm just going to bite this dude's arm off. And then she's going to let me go. And then they're going to bring in a help. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later. So, yeah, they're saying that she's actually the villain. I mean, the sharks, if you think about this, much like in Jurassic Park, 
they're not really the villains. These were just three kind of Mako or Great White Sharks that were just kind of hanging out. They got made super smart. And people just test on them all the time. So they're like, screw this. I'm not hanging out in this cage. We're going to escape. I mean, these sharks are basically Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the escape plan. I mean, th their plan's pretty good. Uh, they just get a little bit unlucky. But if they're looking to make an escape plan three, because the second one's terrible, they should just pit Sylvester Stallone with these sharks. See what happens. Deep Blue Sea 2, the real one, because the sequel's horrible. So right now... We have Samuel Jackson looking at, uh, you know, standing behind another dude at a desk talking to Saffron Burroughs. She is kind of talking about getting more time. She needs more time. It's always the, the case in these movies with Hollow Man and all these other ones where, you know, like, we, we got to have more time. We don't have enough time. Of course, they're like, well, this is your last ditch effort. We've actually piled a ton of money into creating an underwater lab where you can test sharks out. So you are, I mean, th this is a ridiculous amount of money that they poured into this. So Sam Jackson's, you know, he, he wants to know what's going on. I do like this scene, though. Okay, they're kind of establishing how far out it is. They're kind of establishing that she's a pilot. They establish that she has a plane. And I guess this establishes the alienation that they're going to, uh, you know, find later. I'm saying the word establish a lot. But... If you look at this photography, when we get to the lab, I just want you to kind of keep an eye on Aquatica when we get there. Just check out the layout of it. It's kind of a rectangular type building. Uh, just if you kind of look over here, it's once you figure out the layout, I'm going to walk you through a scene later. That's probably going to blow your mind. That's just going to it's going to really change the way you think about the, the, the kills in this movie, because this movie is actually really pretty bonkers and I love it for it. Uh, and actually, he just uh, Sam Jackson just compares it to Alcatraz, uh, another escape plan thing. So Sylvester Stallone and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger ripped that off. But yeah, you're taking a look at it, rectangular area. I actually like figured out the dimensions of this place for this article uh, I wrote, and I did a lot of work staring at this thing. I never really thought back in '99 when I was watching this that I would be checking out the dimensions of this pen to figure out how far the, the shark traveled. So I don't know if you're watching the scene right now, this guy is dropping this 12 foot into the water, beautiful shark. And if you look around, they have their set in Rosarita, Mexico, and the rest of it is just CGI. So they really did a good job with that at the time in 99. You think that this is out in the middle of nowhere. It was actually a really expensive film. I mean, shooting in water, if you look at water world, hard rain, I don't know whose idea hard rain was. But actually, the 90s were all about really waterlogged movies. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. So right now, you're introduced, uh, you're being introduced to the different people. Um, you have Sam Jackson. You have this lady who's going to become, uh, you know, fish food later on. Actually, this line that uh, Samuel Jackson's saying right now about uh, Tattoo, the plane, that was an improv. And the lady's reaction to him was that reaction. She, she had no idea what he was talking about. He made a joke about that. Actually... The reason Sam Jackson signed on to do this movie is Rennie Harlan and he worked together in A Long Kiss Goodnight. They had a great time working together. So Rennie's like, you're going to be in all my movies after this. And Sam's like, sure, I'll, I'll show up. So they sent him the script and Sam read it. He was originally the chef. They rewrote it. He became this character. And the reason Sam Jackson signed on to do this is he's like, yeah, there's great golf courses in Mexico. So he's like, on my days off, I would just play golf. Also, his daughter learned to get certified in scuba diving he said this on the commentary 
And also, there's many scenes in this movie where they would just shoot his reaction shots, like back to back to back, and then he'd leave while the rest of the crew did all the work and they did strategic camera work to kind of keep him out of the way, and he would just be golfing. So, I mean, it's like, you should join up with Adam Sandler, because I love how Adam Sandler goes to Hawaii just to make these movies. So here we're establishing good old TJ, Carter Blake, can ride. He's like a shark. I guess he's a shark whisperer. If there, if there ever was one, he can just ride these sharks around. He can take license plates out of their mouths. I mean, they're going to be fed to other sharks later. But I guess this sort of establishes in the beginning that he can harpoon sharks easily. And then also, I mean, that shark just swims away. They, be, they just became buds. This shark that Thomas Jane is swimming with, they're friends. Now, this license plate that he's throwing up, if you're in a car listening, I'll explain it. He throws a license plate up that he gets out of the shark's mouth. And this license plate was actually from Jaws. So they took the license plate that the shark had and brought it back into this movie. So it's a nice one of the first homages to Jaws. Also, these sharks, these animatronic sharks, they had hydraulic engines in them. So the three sharks that they build, there is some CGI, which is probably the weakest part of this movie. But these sharks in this film, they put massive hydraulic engines into them. And there's a scene later on in Saffron Burrow's room where they were talking about the commentary where a shark got out of control when the animatic, uh, like the, the shark jumped and it hit the ceiling in the room and made a lot of two by fours and wood just explode. So you, it's pretty crazy that there are sharks with engines in them that were shooting themselves through ceilings in this film. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And there was a Rennie Harlan actually says during this that real sharks might be less dangerous than the like the the the, sh- the sharks they cr- created, which I love. It's just it just adds another bonkers element to this film. And we're about to be introduced to Stellan Skarsgård here coming up pretty soon. Uh, well, I guess we're talking about sharks. There's two first generations, and then there's a uh, a first generation. Shark, that's 26 feet, I believe, which is one foot longer than Jaws. Uh, The one thing Rennie Harlan wanted was a shark that was bigger than Jaws, which I kind of love. Like ours is one foot bigger. It's like an amp that goes to 11. Uh, They just wanted a one foot bigger shark, which I guess Meg did them better. And they made like a 75 foot shark. But, uh, you know, maybe Deep Boosty can, you know, I have a theory. I feel like the Meg isn't a meg i feel like it was a shark created at aquatica that escaped and they didn't know about it and so it it hasn't been living for all these years oh wait uh, i'm gonna go back to steering a little bit if you're watching you'll just see the director walked by and that's his cameo and the funny thing is about it is he said that it took him 22 times to film him just walking by which i kind of love oh there's stellan skarsgård peeing in the wind it's a great introduction actually uh, stellan and and, uh, sam jackson teamed up later for Marvel. But so Rennie Harlan was talking about that and he just couldn't walk right on screen. And I worked on a lot of film sets and I call it the extra walk. It's where people walk totally normal. But when you yell action, they have this very weird walk. So just watch movies and watch the extras. They have a walk that isn't normal. Uh, I love that movie Annihilation. It's one of my favorite movies of this year. But in the beginning, when Natalie Portman is lecturing, watch the background in the school there's a lot of there's too many people walking by and they're all doing the extra walk so alex garland handmade that film but i feel like he kind of let down his guard 
with the extras in the background because they look very stock. Also in the movie Spy, there's a scene that Paul Paul uh, Feig, the director, hates where there's a long walking scene and there's a dude behind them walking with his hand in his pocket, which is really awkward and it takes you away from it. But going back to the movie, I'm just talking about extra walking. It's tough. For some reason, people just forget how to walk. But I love the introduction uh, introduction of Michael Rappaport here on his trailers. They're like, Michael Rappaport as Michael Rappaport. And Sam Jackson actually made fun of him a lot on this movie. Uh, he's like, he didn't understand. He was just saying that Rappaport didn't understand any of the technical jargon. He was complaining a lot. Uh, when he was turning knobs, he had no idea what he was doing. I just love good commentaries that take pot shots at other actors. And if you watch the Love Actually commentary, there's a <laughs> a fantastic commentary where uh, Hugh Grant dis- disses Colin Firth the whole time. It's, it's pretty brilliant. But yeah, this scene, uh, they dropped it into the water, but then they're creating all this CGI. So this movie, you know, even if you're not watching it, is, did a really good job of blending CGI with practical effects so in these sets i'm going to talk about this escalator later uh in these sets they were built on a water tank so they had water on the sides and they would put water jugs in the windows and then above them they would put water tanks so that wasn't cgi water so they really did a good job blending cgi with practical effects and i think that makes for a great movie you know watch jurassic park movies like that they don't total mad max fury road they don't totally rely on cgi Instead, they kind of blend the two. And I feel like this movie did a good job of that. So right now, we're dealing with the evil scientist. She's doing some computery thingies on a 1999 computer. And she's just trying to get ahead of schedule. Um, the problem is they're not. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård comes in here. I want some coffee. He's pouring some coffee. Uh, they're talking about how they won't be ready. I mean, this is obviously ominous. Uh, I do love the line, though, where she says you wait for something your entire life. And then it's tomorrow. But I guess this kind of sets up that they're just not ready. Something is going to go bad. I mean, you know, what what do they call it? Chekhov's gun. So now they're having like Chekhov's early shark testing, which is going to go horribly awry and going to lead to sharks hurting people into sinking a place, which I kind of love. All right. So next, if you look at more of these sets, so this set right now, that we're looking at. This is one of the main sets. This is where, you know, Sam Jackson eats it later or gets eaten later. But this one was built on top of a water tank, which I love. Uh, This water tank below them is about 35 feet of water. And so instead of actually flooding it, they just dropped it into it. So I kind of love that. I mean, I love that. Oh, it's just a... Technically, I would, I don't know, I wouldn't want to work on this movie because all the water would have been a pain in the butt. And also, it was October and Pacific Ocean water was coming into this set, so it was freezing for everybody, uh, which Rennie Harlan talks about a lot. He said the actors complained a lot. But also, there's another interesting tidbit. When you're watching this movie later on, you're going to see Thomas Jane slipping and sliding. And for many years, we were actually joking about how many times Thomas Jane falls in this movie. And the th- the reason why is the the people who built the sets put l- linoleum floors in and they didn't think about the fact that they were going to be flooded so the actors were running on l- these really slippery floors so when you see people slipping and sliding those are real slipping and sliding actually there's a bunch of accidents in this movie uh later on they get bombed by a couple like uh, several actual uh waves that come in i mean they get smushed up against stuff i mean the actors they seem like they had to deal with a lot and 
If you ever watched it, the Dinner for Five, hey, LL Cool J and the Chef, one of the best kitchen fights of all time coming up. So Ella, uh, they were talking about it on Dinner for Five, which is a show that John Favreau hosted and he have guests with him and then they would just kind of hang out and talk movies and everything. They had Rappaport on in Saffron Burroughs and they didn't seem to really like this movie, which always bummed me out because I love this movie. Uh, little tidbit about this parrot here. So right now we have LL Cool J and in this scene, he's the chef. And he is hanging out with a parrot. The parrot is his friend. But what I like is Rennie Harlan explained that they didn't have enough money for a Hollywood parrot, which would come with a couple people. The parrot knows how to act on cue. Really well trained. The parrot knows exactly what it's doing. So they had to hire a parrot, a local parrot from Mexico. And they said it was just kind of a nightmare to work with this parrot, even though the parrot is really good. I mean, the parrot puts in some good work in this film. But they realized that they probably should have hired a Hollywood parrot because it would have saved them money because they spent so much time trying to film this Mexican parrot, which is kind of great. Um, so if you're ever shooting a movie, you, know, you might want to spend the money on, you know, uh, a real acting parrot, a professional parrot. Save yourself some money in the long run. Here's a scene that, I don't know, people seem to kind of make fun of. You got the sharks coming up. Thomas Jane's coming out there to feed them. They they feed these sharks. The bad CGI kind of happens. I'm not going to say it's the best looking CGI on the planet, but establishes that these sharks don't just get fed grouper. These sharks, uh, I mean, they eat other sharks easily. And the other sharks that get fed to them are like, oh, crap, this is terrible. So these are like super species of sharks. So I guess that's smart. Like, it makes more sense than the Mosasaurus being fed a shark, a great white shark, in Jurassic World. Because one, are you taking great white sharks from the ocean? I mean, are you not, can't you just feed them like a cow? Do you need a great white shark? I guess it has a comparison wise, that's fine. But I've always just felt bad. Are they, are they, are these great white sharks in Jurassic World clones? Because that would cost millions. But either way, I mean, it's highly irresponsible to be feeding great white sharks to to genetically modified dinosaurs. I'm going off on a shark tangent here. Oh, uh, whatever. But they looked like they just caught this mako. And the shark that got eaten was actually a real jerk shark. It had a license plate in its mouth and, you know, probably you know, was up to some trouble. But right now we're watching the scene. It's a party scene. They're going to celebrate what's coming up. The problem was the scene, they didn't really originally want to do it. So they had to and they ended up with night shoots and i don't know if you ever worked on a night shoot you just work all night sleep all day go back at night and do these shots hey, finlandia that's a nice product placement uh so this scene they said just took a long time and also night shoots they just put you on a different world i worked nights on a movie called goosebumps and you just uh, you just lose all track of, of what's going on uh so you know, it could be a worse location than filming all nights here. And also Samuel Jackson, it was cold. And Samuel Jackson was like, I got to keep my sweater on. So he was making fun of everybody in this movie. Also, we had nice words for LL Cool J. He said that he was actually out there, you know, working his ass off to be a good actor. And I like LL. I mean, some people give him some crap, but I loved him in H2O. I thought he was really good in any given Sunday uh, in Too Deep. The dude's a good actor. All right, so... Right now we're moving on. We got Thomas Jane talking to Saffron Burroughs. Um, they're kind of complimenting each other. They maybe have a past. You know, he's a criminal, though. He's just a shark wrangler. So he's a scientist. So you have like a weird dynamic between them. But I don't know. I guess it establishes 
that well actually establishes that she's all work and she shoots him down they had a nice little moment but it gets bad um now she's just kind of you know they're talking about the sharks they don't lose brain activity they're the oldest creatures on the planet uh i guess they're just using this scene for just a large expository dump which is fine i mean you kind of have to get those out sometimes in the movie if you listen to our live free or die hard podcast they trusted Kevin Smith to deliver about, I don't know, 13 pages of expository dialogue in the middle of the movie just because they had to get it out. So, I mean, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it. Uh, this is a different location. You have some good looking shots. Kind of makes sense because they're all together. Uh, you're not just kind of lumping people in together randomly. Also, maybe. Oh, also, you realize that they're breaking the Harvard, Harvard genetics compact and the, uh, uh, you know, different policies. However, we learn later that they didn't have enough time, so Saffron Burroughs did cheat. She did break the Harvard genetic uh, rule, and she created these super smart sharks. And, oh, I apologize. Earlier, I just learned that it was the Gen 1 shark that attacked the boat. So that Gen 1 shark definitely did that on purpose. It definitely want to know how long it would take. So that's my theory. But uh, now they're kind of doing more foreshadowing, bringing the shark out of the tank. It's going to be a problem. Obviously it is, but it leads to some pretty great moments that I love. Um, oh, I really like, there's a scene in this movie coming up where when Samuel Jackson walks into, well, they're, they're just doing the dialogue here, so I'm going off on a tangent because we don't need to hear more about this. So Samuel Jackson, when you see him later on, when he walks into a room and he goes, Wow. He said that's the greatest wow in the history of cinema. And I kind of love how he said it. Because uh, when you have to walk, I guess as an actor, when you have to walk into a room with no dialogue and just say, wow, it's probably a really tough job to do. I'm a horrible actor. Uh, I couldn't pull it off. So I, when you watch this scene later up, coming up, uh, when Sam Jackson walks in and he says, wow, just remember that Samuel Jackson gave himself a lot of props for his wow, which I kind of love. Here's Michael Rappaport again. He lifted the fence because the sharks got out. That's the thing, though. The sharks get out. They lifted the fence. So these sharks realize that when it's a fully stocked facility, they can't really escape because there's so many more people. But since the storm is coming, the sharks know this, I'm pretty sure. They're like, we're going to sink this place. Well, I don't. Well, it works out pretty well that Sam Jackson shows up. But once they find that out. They're, list they're obviously listening to the conversations because I'm pretty sh I don't know. Send me a message. Do you think these sharks can understand English? Because I'm pretty sure they can if they can come up with this. But, right? Oh, there's a Mexican parrot. Man, that thing's good. I think it does good work. I, mean, I don't know how long it took. I mean, imagine having to act alongside a parrot or a blue screen. I don't know. That's all impressive regardless. So, we're kind of setting up the different locations in this. Everyone's getting ready for their night uh, going around. It's establishing the rooms, doing all that. Aquatica in the morning. Take a look at that again. Oh, here's Michael Rappaport. He had no idea why he was turning these knobs. He was just told to do this. I kind of love that about it. So we're getting ready for the big experiment and the storm is coming in. What I do love is this scene. Thomas Jane's about to go down and catch one of the sharks just by himself. Piece of cake. And what I love is these sharks could just destroy him. But I guess they're choosing to get caught. So then it can bite the arm off somebody. 
and then the lady will let it go and then it will catch that person later on use that to break the window and then herd them around like rennie harlan in the commentary was saying there's moments in these films where these sharks purposely don't kill people because <laughs> uh, they're trying to herd them into rooms to bring more water into them i need to you know what i need to write an article breaking down every step of this thing and once again Michael Rappaport's touching a bunch of knobs. He has no idea what he's doing. So we got this movie going on. We got Thomas Jane swimming through the cages right here. Really nice shot. Also, Michael Rappaport was just looking at a, a green screen right there. So Samuel Jackson applauded his acting. He said he did pretty good work there. Um, let's see. So as we're coming up, we got him hunting through. Actually, all these cameras are going to be wiped out later by the sharks. Who? That means they understand what cameras are. How smart do they make these sharks? Super, super, super smart. So they're all standing around. They're kind of looking at blank screens. Here goes TJ. And one of my favorite moments in this film, the shark comes up. They attach, attack these, uh, you know. This is another smart idea to show this because it shows they can't get through these uh, steel chains. They can't get through. They're flexible. They bend. Thus, they can't break. Oh, shark swims backwards. What a, you know, people make fun of this movie for the shark swimming backwards, but I don't know. Who cares? I mean, they're super smart and they understand the, to break down cameras. They're like if the raptors from Jurassic Park were smart, tur, had like PhDs. I mean, the raptors in Jurassic Park, they're just, they work together. They're smart. Man, imagine, I, mean, I guess that kind of happens to them with blue. And the, wait, I got a theory. So... Deep Blue Sea steals from Jurassic Park. You, you have a skeleton crew, you have a storm, uh, you have accidents, you have that kind of stuff. And you have, you know, very, people getting separated, all that kind of, all that jazz. Now, these sharks are, instead of what, what Rennie Harlan did was he made these sharks really smart, like super smart. But then you've watched Jurassic World and the later, the later Jurassic Parks, then those rappers become super smart. And they want to militarize them. I think these sharks would be better militarized. So I wonder if that that's what happened. Deep Deep Blue Sea stole from Jurassic Park, and then Jurassic Park stole from Deep Blue Sea. I don't know. I'm putting that out there. It's up for you to kind of chew on, to think about, see what you all think here. So right now, uh, all the cameras went out because the sharks took out the cameras, which Man, these are smart sharks. Uh, they're they're out there. They've alienated Thomas Jane. Now th you could see that they could really take him out right now. These sharks could kill him, but they have their plan. They're gonna just get. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure this shark knows that TJ is tricking him. The shark goes after it anyways. That shark's not unconscious right now. It gets hit with a thing. It's like yeah, I'm just gonna take a nap for a while. So. You get one of them. I always wondered what the other two were, but it makes sense if they're drawing themselves into the trap. Also, how does Thomas Jane get this massive shark onto that? To get this shark onto that platform, he had to trank it. Then know that the shark had to immediately stop and fall onto the platform. I mean, that's another, like the shark probably floated there. Because uh, think about that. You have a 20 foot landing thing and you're in the water and you have to hit a shark perfectly to where the shark lands on that. Man, these sharks are playing these people. I, mean, I don't think they're dumb. I just don't think you ever live in a world where you think maniacal sharks are going to 
herd you into various facilities to kill you. Now, right here, I mean, I love this design. I think, you know, this movie's almost 20 years later, and it's aged really well. Just the way they built these things. Oh, look at Sam Jackson. Yeah, Sam Jackson. What in God's creation? I mean, it's a shark. Uh, oh, this is another bad line. So Sam Jackson goes, what in God's creation? Then Stellan Skarsgård goes, oh, not his. So you have these scientists who are basically playing God. Same thing as Jurassic Park. But they're playing God. A lot of hubris. Things go bad. They get their arms ripped off. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the moral of this movie is not to genetically modify sharks, which, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I... I has any movie with genetic modification been good? Has there ever been a good result to a movie with genetic mod modification? I'll have to look that up. So, right. Oh, and also uh, Sam Jackson mentions that Stellan Scars, he's in a lab right now and he's smoking cigarettes. And Sam, <laughs> Sam Jackson suggested that the reason the shark bit off Stellan Scars got his arms because he was smoking or that the shark wanted the cigarette. So, I mean, did the shark want to smoke a little bit? doubt it but just look at these practical effects right now i mean i love how this looks i love just the set uh, the, you know a lot of money went into this movie over a hundred million dollars if, if you think about inflation and I, a lot of people call this uh, the ultimate b movie and i suppose it is but much like brian raftery of wired he said that this movie um is the best shark movie ever because he argued jaws isn't a movie about sharks it's really character driven. The shark didn't work. So, yeah, it's a horror film, but it's not like a killer shark movie. And you can totally disagree. This is just the case he made. But I, I, I dig it. Like, I'm all for uh, saying this is the greatest shark movie in, in uh, uh, you know, what quotations ever made. So they put one dart into it and they put a ratchet strap over the back of a 25 foot shark to keep it still. I'm not too sure about that. The shark, I'm pretty sure, is just hanging out right now, just waiting, just playing possum, 25-foot shark playing possum. It's probably a little annoyed that it's getting something stuck into his brain. <laughs> Sorry, uh, there's there's this scene where Thomas Jane just puts a bucket on the shark's back and puts some water on it. It's, it's just, it's adorable. Water in, the, water in the shark. I actually saw a clip the other day of a baby, baby hippo being watered on reddit it's pretty adorable but no just the set design they're grabbing this thing from the shark they're looking at computer this is good computer acting uh i got a hackers pod coming up soon and one of our questions is who's done the best looking at computer and typing uh i love alan cumming and golden eye i think he crushes that actually alicia vikander in the latest born movie which is really bad she does some fantastic looking at screen acting just Nails it. Like, I actually believe she was looking at a screen, uh, which obviously everyone is, but it seems tougher than, than it is. But this movie features some solid typing, some solid looking. The furrowed brows were good. I dug it. Oh, man. They got the brain serum. This is what it is. It's going to cure Alzheimer's, everybody. Moment of truth. The protein complex. Oh, man. Let's see what happens. I wonder if it's going to work. So she ha she has this mission completed. This is done. She has the serum, which is quite interesting. So it's 
doesn't make sense that she would allow it to escape because I think they already have it. But then you wouldn't have the movie. Oh, the protein complex is working. I live in a movie called Deep Blue Sea about sharks hurting people that they're talking about protein complexes. Neurons are becoming hypersomatic. I mean, uh, it's a lot of technical jargon in this. Oh, membrane integrity is improving. Oh, man, look at this computer. Like, what, if, you're, if you're just listening to your car, I mean, you got every actor in this movie staring at a computer just doing great work. I mean, just not crushing that. Oh, Michael Rappaport, he has no idea what's going on. Man. If you ever want to teach a thesis in computer screen watching, definitely do this movie. And after this scene, all right, so they're successful. And whenever you watch these movies, what happens after success? Well, bad things happen. Now, I want to kind of talk to you about this scene coming up. You have Stellan Skarsgård, cigarette in his mouth, super stoked. And falling right into the shark's trap. The shark comes over. Oh, there goes the arm. Boom. Shark gets a new cigarette. He loses an arm. So I broke down this scene because I wanted to know how far Skarsgård travels during this. Um, so if you watch in here, he sneaks up about, let's see. So it bites his arm off. He's probably about 20 feet from the freight elevator right now. So let's kind of add that in there. 20 feet. TJ is going to go kill the shark, which she doesn't really have to kill it. There's really no reason to wait. I mean, the shark's not going anywhere, so he doesn't have to kill it, which doesn't make sense. So then she doesn't really have to release it because you don't have to kill the shark. But, you know, it's a movie. Was he going to trank it? Why'd she let it go? You're going to kill a lot of people. I mean, that's her you insane. I guess she is. She's like the Dr. Frank. Oh, she is kind of a Dr. Frankenstein. Eh, 20th century. All right, so uh, they call the evacs. They're coming up. She calls them. Right now, they're walking. You know, Scarsgar's on the arm, lost an arm. Blood's everywhere. It's a good shot. A lot of cranes in this. A lot of cranes in this movie. Techno cranes for sure. Beautiful set. Um, also, during that scene, you'll notice that like uh, before that, Sam Jackson wasn't in much of the work because he was golfing, which I kind of love. So the helicopter's coming out. They're flying in right now on this elevator. I actually went to a website that told me how fast elevators move. So once they got an elevator, the trip took 30 seconds. According to Stanley Elevators, a stock freight elevator moves on an average speed of 200 feet per minute. The elevator covered 100 feet in its 30-second journey. Next. Uh, so right now they're going up in the freight elevator and they're in there for 30 seconds. That's how I got it, that he went up at 100 feet. So he's covered that 20, 20 feet. Uh, now he is being taken out he's being wheeled out on a stretcher and they're going to attach him to this helicopter uh during that elevator when he looks at where they landed i actually use that a lot for reference and that really helped me uh figure out the size and how many floors were actually in this place one of these days i'll have the entire facility mapped out it'll be totally unnecessary it's like a human pyramid according to mitch Hedberg. so right now they're they actually were just sending wave after wave after wave at these actors and sam jackson said here's the last time that i was dry in this movie uh he hated it he he wasn't told that he was going to be silk the whole time he just wanted to wear a sweater and golf uh, rennie harlan said he loved it pretty sure he was being finished and sarcastic about it so this this ele the, this uh helicopter comes in and i gotta be honest if you watch a lot like jaws 2 um jaws 4 
helicopters don't do well in Sea Beast movies. They always get wiped out. Uh, wait, airplanes and Mega Shark versus Giant. I mean, it's like they can get you from anywhere. Uh, so the moral of the story is just just let the people hang out. They just make it worse. Crash, <laughs> kill more people. You're not going to save them with a giant angry shark in the water. All right, so here's Skarsgård. They're lifting him up. So this winch, um, he covered probably about 50 feet uh, going up in the air. He's attached to him because he almost gets to that helicopter. They're lifting it up. And I don't know, whoever built this winch probably needs to get fired because the winch just fails automatically. I mean, if you're in a helicopter, there's probably a lot of rescue as far as Coast Guard is, is concerned. So probably need a better winch. So this thing breaks down. They're being taken up. Actually, that giant wave that just hit them wasn't supposed to hit them. And a lot of the actors got hurt. They said they bonded through pain, which I kind of love. So here's the helicopter going up. He's trying to, I don't know why. He's like, too much weight. You know, scars, scars heavy. So they're trying to pull the thing up. The winch stops working, of course. Which, movie trope, 101. But I still kind of love. So. Oh, man. Poor scars, guard. This is a horrible death. Arm ripped off. Oxygen mask on. He was actually getting water bombed on his face during this entire shoot. Down he goes. Now, in the words of Samuel Jackson, becomes bass fishing with Urn. So, the shark planned this. I wonder if the shark knew that the winch would... Oh, man. So many questions. So, they're, they're trying to pull up. But the problem is, the shark gets it. The shark starts pulling, <laughs> pulling the winch. Uh, you know, like... Once this shark wipes out this helicopter, uh, I'm not going to say uh, I'm not a genetically injured shark with a lesser blood and thus I cannot track the exact movements underwater. But once this shark gets Skarsgård underwater, this is what I think. I think the shark started circling or doing laps around Aquatica. So as we watched earlier, you see it's a big rectangle and below it's all open. So this shark, if it just would have taken that stretcher and rammed it in at maybe 15 miles an hour, it wouldn't have done anything to the glass in the place. So this shark right now is finding the best way as it's underwater, finding the best way to um, destroy this facility, which, which I kind of love. Uh, so right now it has scars guard in its mouth and it's just doing laps. I mean, it's swimming around with Skarsgård somewhere, which is what I kind of love. I mean, a lot of people talk about the death of Samuel Jackson in this movie, which, you know, you should talk about it because it's a really great, surprising death scene. But the shark is underwater. And right now, this explosion, I love. This is actually a practical explosion. The fire comes up and it went around the camera. It was in a spe special box uh, uh, that they could film doing that scene. I love a good fireball in cinema. I always love it. Um, so... It, just think about Aquatica that we looked at earlier. You're watching the screen right now. Obviously, you've seen LL drink some wine, which I kind of love. Uh, I think he's really good in this movie. But this shark is just doing laps right now with Skarsgård in its mouth. That's how smart these sharks are. So they're coming up. They're all frazzled. They're about to be looking at more screens, more great screen acting, which is about to stop soon. But I love what I love Jackson's reaction right now. What is that? Here it comes. So this shark did laps and it turned around 
and it just started swimming really fast at this thing. So uh, the fence dimensions I, I thought were about 590 feet by 295 feet, so give or take 15 feet or so. So you have the perimeter, the catwalks, the, all the other catwalks. So the shark, is that a, that's a huge shark. Uh, so it has, it did three laps <laughs> and then it swum through the middle and unleashed Skarsgård. And this is such an evil kill. Right now, Skarsgård knows exactly what's going on because he has oxygen in his mouth. And the shark used the metal from that to bust this. I mean, what a brilliant, I mean, who wrote, I, I know, obviously know who wrote this, but whoever wrote that, you know, if I wrote this scene, I just would be patting myself on the back. I'd be introducing myself as, hi, I'm Mark Hoffmeyer. I'm the guy who wrote that scene in Deep Blue Sea. Uh, I haven't done much since, but I just hinge on that. You know, it's like saying you threw three touchdowns in one football game, you know, back in high school. That would be me. But so this water would definitely have killed every, everybody on here. All those machine, all that machinery was flying all over the place. You see this linoleum floor that they have here. You'll see the actor slipping. Obviously, there's water in there. But it was really inconvenient for them. A lot of them got hit by chairs, debris. Uh, so this thing right now, which is pretty cool, right now this set is just dropping down into the water, which is really cool. Like So it's it's on a, a system and they're just dumping it in there. And later on, I mean, this 35-foot thing is going to be filled to the brim with water. And they did that by just dropping it down. So right now this thing is just being slowly lowered, which I love. I mean, I... I mean, I guess in a, in a practical sense that that's what would happen. But I just love that they built sets on top of 35-foot tanks and then dropped them in there. And that's what caused all the waves. So these actors right now, uh, they were really unhappy. Oh, see, slips. I guess, you know what? If we're doing a drinking game, just take a drink every time uh, Thomas Jane falls. You'll be uh, you'll be pretty sloshed by the end of it. So they're, they're locking up this door. As Sam Jackson said, this is the last time that any of them is going to be dry. I mean, yeah, she's obviously disturbed that she just saw her husband get his arm bit off and then taken away by a great white shark, swum around laps and uses a battering ram. <laughs> so that shark. Um, so what I established was the shark swam through the middle, then circled the aquatic on its prey until it got comfortable enough to send Skarsgård into oblivion. The total estimated distance is 1.09 miles, and total time spent traveling untethered from the helicopter is 110 seconds. The shark swam at an average uh, of 35.6 miles per hour, uh, which led me to believe the shark started slow, then built up to a much faster speed to accrue the 35.6 mile an hour average. The fastest shark on the planet can swim top speeds of 40 to 55 miles for short distances. Therefore, I'm guessing the shark swam slower laps until it got everything just right and exploded to 60 miles per hour. Uh, so at the end, it kind of did its laps once it figured out the best way to go. This shark swam 60 miles an hour, which this sounds weird, but I actually broke down the data on the movie Shark Night and the great white shark actually swims faster than that for longer distances. Uh, I should probably unleash that on the world. It's another jet ski action scene moment, but... Yeah, so I guess in the in the race for the fastest sharks of cinema, it comes down to Deep Blue Sea and Shark Night. A lot of people think the shark in Jaws of Revenge swam really quickly, but I broke down all the math on that too, and it made the journey at, at like a pace of about 17, 18 miles, which is really hard to keep up for a shark and would never happen. But when compared to Deep Blue Sea and Shark Night, it's... It makes sense. Uh, 
So if you're out there complaining about Jaws of Revenge, there's a lot more to complain about than its journey from, uh, what, let's, where were they at? Amityville to the Bahamas. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I also have a theory that the shark is a private detective in Jaws of Revenge, and it's not very good at killing, and it always gets foiled. So it's kind of an incompetent shark, so it's not used to killing, but that's beside the part. So, I don't know, I, yeah, LL Cool J right here, um, the shark, that, that bird actually swims the right way, or flies the right way, he's going up to check, and soon he is going to get hit by water, which the sharks caused, and which I kind of love. LL's good in this movie. I'll tell you, in a theater, uh, during the big action scenes, everybody in the theater was just yelling, go LL. I mean, you had about 300 people in a packed theater just yelling, go LL. So I'd always sneak into the movie during certain scenes, just kind of hear the audiences. That looks like a lot of fun actually sliding down that thing. I mean, look at all that water being poured in there. I mean, whoever stuntman that was, he actually did all that. All right, so now that I've told you about that, that shark swam about 1.09 miles, 1.12, something about that. Oh, also I want to mention that Stephen King loves this movie, if you haven't heard this. I know there's a lot going on right now, but Stephen King said, My first trip after being smacked by a van and almost killed was to the movies. Uh, he went to go see Deep Blue Sea. Uh, he's like, I went in my wheelchair and I loved every minute of it. So... Stephen King is a fan of this movie, people. Can't be that bad, right? Where are we at? So right now they're... Oh, he just slipped again. Drink. I don't know if you got water or coffee, just do that too. So I loved that Harlan kind of broke down. If you, if you get a chance and if you are a fan of this movie, I'm talking about a lot of the highlights. But I do love that Harlan talked about production and that's kind of what i listen to these commentaries for and if you listen to a resident evil podcast i really like what anderson did paul anderson did with his um commentaries i mean oh there's a great view of the thing he just really broke down um the films and he did it with respect to people but then you listen to other commentaries and they're just like why are we doing this everyone listening if you're listening you're you're you know, you got nothing better to do but i want you guys to tell you i have nothing better to do because i'm recording a deep blue sea dvd commentary right now but you know it's still great so this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie uh we actually did a podcast about this uh we uh, we talked about kitchen fights in movies which i mean i kind of love and just called ll cool j fat butt <laughs> but what i love about this scene really great crane shot right there is the way that they just set this up i love this kitchen fight i think it's pretty ingenious how it's filmed also, you get the first shark being killed, which is actually exactly, well, not exactly, but the shark blows up, much like the shark from Jaws 1. Actually, the shark deaths in this movie, on purpose, mimic the shark deaths in the in the, the Jaws franchise. So in the first Jaws, the shark gets exploded. In the second uh, Jaws, the shark gets electrocuted, which happens in this movies. And then in the third and fourth Jaws movies, the sharks explode. Which is really random because in Jaws the Revenge, the shark gets stabbed by a boat and then it blows up because I guess Mario Van Peebles put something in it, which is pretty crazy. But now <laughs> I love that Sam Jackson, um, he's just starting to catch on that. He's like, they aren't breaking down doors for the sheer joy of it. 
Uh, and Thomas Jane's like, yeah, we don't know what they're doing yet. But I, I don't know. I just love that. These shark, these, these are some smart sharks. And I love that Sam Jackson right now. He goes, what the hell did you do to these sharks? So it turns out their brains weren't large enough, as she explains right now. So they couldn't get enough things. So they violated the Harvard Compact. Well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> so, so, geez Louise. The sharks got smarter. Oh my gosh. I love it. I mean, like, these sharks got so smart that they can understand English and... Well, how can you understand? Oh, how do they know what cameras are? That's what gets me. Man, what did you, did she, like, was she reading to him? She might, you know what? Maybe she just hung out with him. Maybe they observed. I don't know. But I kind of like it. She's thinking to herself, you know, I made these things smarter. I broke the comp, uh, the Harvard uh, deal. But, you know, she saw her father die from Alzheimer's. So she's like, I want to save thousands. That's why I did this. Uh, convoluted thinking. But now everyone's realizing that they got hoodwinked by Saffron Burroughs and that they were you. Oh, poor TJ just said that you use me. If you guys ever watch The Expanse, he's really good on that. Oh, so Thomas Jane was hired because he was a criminal and he was just thank thankful for the job. So he wouldn't ask too many questions. Man, Saffron Burroughs. She did. Uh, I mean, she played everyone here. She was about a billion dollars to make sharks understand and destroy. I mean, man, like, I feel like, I mean, she was successful, I guess. Have the mill. Well, I don't know if you want to pay a billion dollars to make smart sharks. Sharks. Same thing as Jurassic world train raptors to go into caves in Afghanistan. It's, it's another thing that, uh, Jurassic world ripped off. All right. So now they got to keep moving. But the problem is the sharks are hurting them to wherever they go. Uh, Michael, I, I just, I never thought I'd hear Michael Rappaport saying that the sharks are screwing with us. It's kind of brilliant. But these sets, they kind of use the same ones all over. Uh, they film this set up to about, I'd say about four feet of water. I mean, this is a, this is a tough job filming in water. Uh, just the electricity, how you're filming. I mean, you do something wrong, you're going to get lit up with electricity. So they really did that. Here comes the shark. This shark, I really feel like these sharks get bigger and smaller in size throughout the movie. Because now it's just going through the hallway. I don't know. It looks to be like eight feet right now. Yeah. I don't know. So the shark's coming through. Maybe it's trying to herd him into something. I don't know. Maybe it's hungry. The sh I mean. Yeah, this is this is an interesting scene. So he finds him and we go into the kitchen fight. I love this scene. I love the frying pan. Uh, I used to go into the theater during this moment when he picks up the frying pan. I, would, I always knew when to go in. And whenever he picked up the frying pan, everybody in the audience would just laugh. Uh, the fact that, the, you know, what was that movie? with? Uh, I think it's one of the Hobbit movies. No, Brave. What movie is it? Oh, probably the Hobbit. Yeah, the Hobbit movies where Samwise uses a pan to wipe out orcs. Also, the Hobbits are really great at throwing rocks. Watch these movies again, and they can hit orcs in the head and make those orcs fly up in the air. I mean, how much power are behind these rocks that they're throwing? I mean, these hobbits got some, you know, like the Nolan Ryan of hobbits. Maybe that's what their skills are. But so right now we have the kitchen fight. 
We're hoping LL Cool J uses the frying pan on the shark, which would be very dinosaurs-esque. I would love that. Well, so they go into uh, this hallway here. They realize that they can't get out. Everything's busted. But this is going to lead to a great scene coming up here pretty soon. Let's see. What else do I have in my notes? Um, what I do like here is the way that Rennie Harlan set these shots up. He, he wanted to have tight hallway spaces. He wanted to create claustrophobia. So you watch these scenes and the shark sneaks in the door while he's climbing up. That's so brilliant. So he wanted to create a real sense of um, uh, claustrophobia in here. And I feel like he really does a good job. Also, he kills the bird here, which I kind of hate when animals die in movies, but Rennie Harlan seemed pretty happy to get rid of the bird because I guess it was a massive pain in the butt. And I just love how this scene plays out. Uh, I think he does a good job setting up the kind of claustrophobia of that. Um, the shark sneaks into the room. I mean, that's brilliant. Uh, uh, just, he doesn't want his bird getting eaten. He loves it. Well, I, they have a love-hate relationship, I would have to say. But, I mean, just look at these nice shots establishing that close-up. You have the boo moment. And, I mean, how big is this shark? I have no idea. But I love how that thing falls. Like I said, this is one of the best kitchen fights. I mean, behind sudden death. Um, great kitchen fight in there. Ant-Man and the Wasp had a really good one. The Raid 2. But just the fact that LL Cool J is battling a shark in a kitchen. Now, this is one of my favorite things. And I kind of want to think about this scene. So LL Cool J goes in. He sneaks. Well, I guess Preacher. We'll call him Preacher. He sneaks in uh, to an oven. Now, watch this scene coming up. We're back to the Michael Rappaport pressing, pressing buttons that he doesn't know what to do. Sam Jackson made fun of him again. So this scene, I kind of want to start talking about the the death scene in, you know, Sam Jackson getting eaten in this in this scene because they did some test screenings of the long kiss goodnight where Sam Jackson was killed and audiences hated it. They're like, you can't kill LL Cool J. You, or no, I'm sorry, you can't kill Samuel Jackson. That can't happen. You can't do this. So when they made this movie, Sam Jackson and Rennie decided, hey, let's 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 get me eaten. No one's going to see that coming. No one's going to like, like, you know, in Psycho, no one sees that coming. These these deaths that occur that you have no idea what's going to happen. And this speech, a lot of people. Oh, wait. So we'll go back here. I'll, I'll go back in a little bit. So we're back in the kitchen fight. Now, check this out. The shark is about to turn on the oven. The shark turns on the oven. With its snout. Sam Jackson asked, did the shark do this on purpose? I mean, that's a good question. Did the shark turn on the oven? I mean, like, let, let's weigh the pros and cons. So pro, it forces the gas could, I guess, force LL to come out because he's it's noxious and he is going to end up passing out and dying. Did the shark know that was going to happen? Or... Was it an accident? But see, the thing is, I think I really believe the shark did it on purpose. The problem is the shark got cocky. And because of this, that's what blows the shark up. So it's the hubris. And that happens in a lot of these movies. Uh, you heard Stellan Skarsgård talking about how they're gods, how they created the sharks. And the shark does the same thing. It turns on the gas and it gets blown up because Preacher is 
Preacher wins. So this shark would have been totally fine had it not turned on um, the oven. Also, there are some plot holes. Sometimes these sharks take massive, these sharks take massive turns, but these sharks can swim backwards. So, you know, for, for the sake of, you know, an interesting narrative, uh, you have the shark taking a wide turn. So LL escapes. The shark is still really preoccupied with this oven, which doesn't really make sense. Here it comes. If the shark stayed underwater, it would have killed LL. I'm telling you, it didn't. The shark got too full of itself, and because of that, and it ate a bird. Uh, but because of that, the shark blows up. So here it goes. He's coming out. Boom, dead shark. Uh, oh, and it blew. It's a lot of chunks. So this shark just got wiped out because it turned on an oven. So if you ever plan on becoming a genetically modified shark, and you're attacking somebody in a kitchen. You don't need to turn on the gas. The gas is not needed. Don't do it, right? Now, I wrote an article, I would say, probably two, three years ago about when saving the day goes wrong. And so I wrote about Ash in, in Army of Darkness where Ash can't even remember three words. So he has to save the day. He actually gets to the book, but he can't remember the third word and he unleashes an, uh, an army of evil. Then in Big Trouble in Little China. Jack Burton, one of my favorite characters of all time, listen to our podcast, 150. He is going to jump into a battle, but he shoots some bullets up in the air and knocks himself out. So you have these guys who are going to save the day, but they it goes wrong. So this scene right here is Sam Jackson had survived a massive snowfall. People died in there, but a few lived, blah, blah, blah. The problem is Sam Jackson gets so busy monologuing that he forgets about the fact that he is that he is standing right next to open water. And if, there's even a scene where Thomas Jane says, do not stand so close to that. But since he gets so busy monologuing, he gets eaten. And what I love about this speech is Rennie Harlan admitted that it was kind of corny. He kind of said this is this is very this guy's making a speech about He's monologuing during a life or death situation. He's being the leader. And so they wrote this speech to be intentionally corny because they want you to get into it. They're like, man, this is a big speech. This guy's, this guy's monologuing. This guy, um, you know, he he's the leader. He is establishing himself. But I kind of love that while he's doing this, he forgets that he's next to a massive tank, which I think is pretty awesome. So you have this pompous speech. You know, he's really selling it. You think he's going to be the leader moment. And the question I've always had is, when did, was a shark down there listening? Is the shark, I mean, was the shark captivated? Did the shark wait for him to almost have the selling point? Did the shark wait to attack for the perfect time in this speech? Because these sharks, you know, we've established they know how to take out cameras. They can turn on kerosene. Uh, no, I'm sorry. They can turn on gas ovens. So... I mean, they're saying they can get a whole, oh, wait, well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. So yeah, he's rallying the troops. You know what? He's given everyone, he, the shark is waiting for these people to get really motivated by this speech. And then he's going to wipe out this dude and it's going to instantly demotivate them. Right? You have massive high than low. <laughs> what a, Rod, Roger Ebert loved this scene. He actually called it out and just said it's one of the the best deaths he's seen in a long time. And so I would sneak into theaters during this and you should have heard audiences just go nuts for this. Oh, look at, oh, this is bit off Sam Jackson's head. 
Uh, these dudes, look, look at them. They're hanging out. Uh, but yeah, audience was just jump and yell and laugh and clap. Uh, and I know, whatever, people have complaints about this movie, but I don't think I've ever seen a movie have so much crowd participation than this because people just went nuts for it. So I guess that's another reason why I just love it so much is here in the audience. I also wonder if you watched that movie Mandy that came out with Nicolas Cage. I saw it in a pretty packed theater and it's a really messed up movie, but everyone started laughing together and getting into it and clapping. And I think that really aided that experience. I think if you're watching it at home, it might take out a lot of the experience in the film. But uh, I'm, I'm just compared Mandy to Deep Blue Sea. That's pretty interesting. So right now, um, I don't know. I The sharks must have led them in here, right? And then the sharks were probably thinking, hey, they might want to swim out. That won't help us. So they waited to eat somebody. So then they realized they couldn't swim out that way. So then they open this door, which creates a vacuum, which sucks all this water up. So that was pressurized right now. And Rennie Harlan actually spent like five minutes talking about that. Also, the actors got bombed by water. <laughs> They're just, oh, man, that's tough. Uh, so from here on, uh, the movie kind of goes into kind of hyperdrive, and I love it for it. Um, I mean, yeah, so they once again, this set, they just kind of, you know, dropped it into the water. These actors were absolutely soaked. And this is going to lead to, coming up here, it's going to lead to a um, a kind of nice homage to Cliffhanger, which is another movie that Rennie Harlan directed, uh, starring Michael Rooker. And this is an aside, but I was listening to a Michael Rooker panel one time, and somebody asked, you know, like, what was it like shooting Cliffhanger? And, and Rooker just said, cold. And that was it. Oh, no, he also told a story about how a stuntman kicked him in the ribs a lot. And uh, he didn't want to wear the padding, so he got kicked in the ribs once. And he's like, okay, I'll wear the padding. But that was it. That was his big answer to Cliffhanger. How was Cliffhanger? It was cold. So, you know, there you go in a deep blue sea commentary. Also, I, I don't know. I love Rennie Harlan's movies. I think, I mean, he did make Cutthroat Island, which was really bad. He later on made The Covenant, Mindhunters. But his Die Hard, Nightmare on Elm Street 4... I mean, this guy, he for a while, he was kind of the go-to dude to handle these kind of films. And it's kind of a bummer that he's been kind of relegated to the minor leagues. I mean, I get it, but I also think he made some really good movies for what he had. And uh, no, I like that a lot. So here, the shark is coming through. And it, these sharks can knock through doors, which is... Well, here it comes. So it must have just eaten Sam Jackson. It's coming through. I don't know. If there are any shark experts, can you message me and like, how does this shark, how does this shark open up a solid door that's supposed to withhold thousands of pounds of pressure? Uh, are, did they, did she make his snout a battering ram? Uh, wait, did the shark have metal on it? I mean, I guess they are smart, but a shark breaks through a, a door. It's a lot of power i'll have to add that into my thing here but they're climbing up the shark's about to break through they're big real big um and michael rapport just told thomas jane that he has big brass balls that's impressive so the shark breaks his door down like nothing comes through um it couldn't have been the 25 footer so it must have been the smaller one 
because the 25 footer obviously couldn't fit through that door Jeez Louise! so the small one can knock through these things so we're going down uh actors are climbing up on the ladders Ooh, so that fireball really did hit thomas jane and he got his arm burned which is pretty pretty interesting i just made that up so right now he's trying to get through this door the water's coming up I just think this looks like a good scene. So basically what they did was they built like a maybe a three-story building. The rest is all CGI. And they just kept climbing the same the same rung of ladder. Which, you know, you watch movies like Live Free or Die Hard. Also listen to that commentary. It's really good. They built an elevator shaft that was just about three stories. All, all, you know, set that up with CGI. But I think this really leads to a good scene. You have this shark circling in the water. It makes for a great visual. And then you got TJ crushing it, Mr. Punisher. Uh, oh, man, that'd be terrifying. This is a good set piece right here. Oh, the shark misses. I kind of love in this movie how the sharks are super accurate at moments and others they aren't. I mean, maybe they're just not good at attacking people yet. Or maybe, no, maybe the shark didn't want to kill him. Maybe he's ushering him up. All right, so this scene is that's coming up right now. Uh, probably one of the more brutal moments of the movie. Uh, I've always felt bad for Janice in this scene. Because what a horrible death that is to to have. But it's also, you know, just once again, a good set. And this movie, I don't know. The thing I like about this movie is you watch so many of these movies where, I don't know, a lot of people live. Like there's there's a sense of danger in this movie, which I definitely appreciate. But this scene is is one of the mean. There's a lot of mean kills in this movie. I, I, I don't think Rennie Harlan gets enough uh, props for making this movie so gnarly. All right. So here we go. If you're watching this movie right now, this woman basically, this shark, I guess this bites her, but she's straddling the shark's mouth and it lifts her out of the water. Man. <laughs> what? Yep, there it goes. What a terrible way to die. But yeah, so there's that scene. The shark is out of, the shark's kind of staying up out of water for a while. That must stay. Why'd the shark even go back up? Wow. Did that shark go back? The shark didn't have to. I think it did it just to mess with them. That shark just did that to... I mean, this is an assumption, but... Had to have been done to mess with these people's brains. So now we're down to four. We got Rappaport, Saffron Burroughs, TJ, and Preacher. I guess I could call him Carter, Susan McAllister. Rappaport's name in this movie is Tom scoggins i don't know just looking at it michael rapport could never be a tom scoggins i don't know what do you think maybe i'll set up a poll on the thing so here we are wow tom scoggins so right now ll is going to save the day i love the scene when this happened i would also go back into the theater watch that uh so yeah this movie Rennie harlan kind of said something funny um, he said that the actors had a lot of chicken skin in this movie it's like a finished thing so they said all these actors got so cold they had chicken skin so they looked like naked chickens Um, it's a, it's a random thing I don't think I would ever goosebumps I guess but chicken skin so right now LL's up Um, they're watching the, the whole facility be flooded and uh, I don't know real quick I just want to read you something while we're kind of in a, in a lull here in the movie 
But Roger Ebert said, the movie is essentially one well-done action sequence after another. It involves all the usual situations in movies where fierce creatures chase victims through, a, through the bowels of a ship, spaceship, building, the alien movies, Deep Rising, etc. It's just that it does them well. It doesn't linger on the special effects. Some of the sharks look like cartoons, but it knows how to use timing, suspense, quick movement, and surprise, especially surprise. There's a moment in this movie when something happens that is completely unexpected, and it's over in a flash, a done deal, and the audience laughs in delight because it was so successfully surprised. In a genre where a lot of movies are retreads of the predictable, Deep Blue Sea keeps you guessing, which I I, I think is right. Uh, I mean, I guess a lot of people didn't know that they were going to go into a movie about really smart sharks doing really mean things to people and just waiting for people to finish speeches and be attacked. And I love that. And Brian Raftery of Wired, he wrote, uh, but as a deep, but as deeply satisfying as The Shallows might be, which is a very good film that features a really jerky, jerky shark. It's still not the greatest non-Jaws shark movie of all time. That title belongs to Deep Blue Sea, director Rennie Harlan's 1999 sci-fi action horror combo about an underwater research lab whose residents become ha- uh, hunted by a trio of genetically modified super sharks. It's part haunted house tale, part undersea slasher flick, and part big ensemble disaster movie, full of high-velocity attacks and ceaseless, remorseless sharks. I mean, these sharks really are remorseless. They do some horrible things to people to get out i mean i know they're they feel like they're captives and they're probably angry justifiably angry about it but i kind of love that um it doesn't have the pop gravitas of jaws but it does have the same archetypal yet nicely rounded out human characters moments of knowing comedy and some genuinely invented action sequences including one of the greatest surprise deaths in modern movie history and i i agree with that i think this does have one of the best deaths in modern movie history uh, I also think that it does have surprises, and I think if I had to rate shark movies, I mean, I, you know, for for the sake of argument, I would definitely put Jaws at number one. Uh, Open Sea is a good film. I like the reef a lot, but I would I would probably go Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, and then The Shallows, and then Open Water and the Reef. Uh, I think they're successful films. Also, Bait 3D. It's basically a shark film inside of a grocery store, which is awesome. It's like The Mist. But with sharks, oh, just thought about that. So kind of love that. But The Shallows, I don't know if you haven't watched it. I just, what I like about The Shallows is the shark's a straight up jerk. Uh, it's not, they didn't, they didn't make the shark believable at all. Like they didn't villainize sharks. Like this is the mustache twirler of sharks in these. And and I think it would fit alongside these three really nicely as well. Uh, Yeah. Let's see here. I love coming up here. Oh, also, uh, some people have asked me about this a lot, and they kind of make fun of it. But I I kind of, I love the song that Deep Blue, uh, LL Cool J has for this. Like, Deepest Bluest, My Hat is Like a Shark Fin. I mean, it's really a, not a great song, but I love that it's there. It's like Hansel and Zoolander says about Sting. You know, like, I, I appreciate that he's still making music. Uh, you watch the video... Just LL getting sprayed by water hoses, looking jacked and being surrounded by woman women. Uh, it's very 1990s, uh, but I don't know, man. Who cares? I love it. Deepest blue is my head is like a shark fin. I mean, it's it, it's it's unironic. It's it's hammy, but I think it's just done fun. I think it's too easy to make fun of, and I definitely enjoy that scene. There's a nice uh, hug between Michael Rappaport and LL Cool J. 
I kind of love that scene. But this is also another really well done scene that we're watching where, I mean, you watch a lot of these movies like Resident Evil. There's been a lot of these underwater scenes in movies. But what this does well is right now you have, you know, the sharks are in the corridors. So you have that coming. Uh, You know that there's one shark that can fit inside those corridors and it is in there. So you have these two swimming. Um, and I think that the shark is actually following them. Like these sharks want them to do exactly what they're doing, which I kind of love, which is, which is, which is pretty brilliant. Uh, but also I just like the, the claustrophobia phobia that gets established. I mean, anytime people are underwater, I think that's a, a brilliant scene. And also this leads to, um, the doctor is going to go back and get her data. So she's going to separate the group starting to separate. And that's never a good thing for these movies. So, I mean, I don't know. I love the way this was filmed. He said this was very tough to film. I mean, you have six feet of water cameras, not much space, about a foot and a half of room going on. Uh, I just, I'm surprised Rappaport makes it so far in this movie, actually. I mean, I guess when Deep Blue Sea 2 was announced, I mean, it's a terrible film, but I mean, everyone wrote about it. People are really excited about it, and I don't recommend you watching it, but I think that's another thing of how this movie's lived on. I think it's been a success. Also in here, if you remember the set from earlier, which, you know, with the giant glass, uh, they went and uh, filled this, this, that entire set that they were in is now completely underwater. Uh, really well made. I kind of love how they they did that. Uh, just dropped it right into those 35-foot tanks. No wonder this movie had a $100 million budget. Thomas Jane's actually down there swimming. I wish he would have been a bigger star. I think him and Timothy Oliphant, I think they could have done it. Oh, there's Skarsgård again, floating around. That's gross. Classic underwater. And Rennie Harlan make fun of that. He said it's like the scared cat moment. He did that on purpose. But right now, you're kind of watching. I don't know. It's good. There's good claustrophobia. There's kind of a moment of levity. You know, normally these moments of levity are also followed by a lot of tragedy. But I also, I also love that Rappaport is like, what the fuck is going on? Like, the, the, I don't know. They're, the, I like that they never – in this movie, I think sometimes people's reactions don't live up to the situation. But I like that um, that these people are genuinely shocked. And when they learn that their smart starts hurting them, they're they're baffled. And the deaths in these movies really do rattle people. I'm giving it too much props here, but I don't care, dude. I love this movie. Uh, this is another scene I love. Uh, LL filming this. He's going to do like a last will and testament. What I like the most is uh, Rennie Harlan was talking about this. He's like, I am kind of unsure about uh, this omelet recipe. He's like, I, I make a lot of omelets. And what he's doing, I don't think it really works. So, I mean, if anybody here uh, ever tries out this recipe that LL's talking about, Send me a message and let me know. I know I know you don't finish it all the way, but even if you do just do the basics of it, just let me know what you think. <laughs> he nails this scene. I think he's he does just fine as an actor. I think uh, well, he's making that NCIS money right now, so he's banking. It's well framed shot, good humor, perfect omelet. Two eggs, not three. Wait, you don't you don't add milk? For, I add milk for density. What does he add? See, now I want to know more. Perfect omelet with no milk. How's that? Can, you can't even put salt and pepper until the, I don't know, whatever. All right, so right now uh, we learned that one of his stupid monitors <laughs> was blocking the thing. And this is where Michael Rappaport is going to eat it pretty good. 
But this leads to another scene that that Rennie Har- Harlan pointed out where they're going to make this work. Um, the actors are down there doing this. They turn on the power. But that's kind of crazy because that's what the sharks wanted. So you have a shark in here somewhere. It's like, have you seen Michael uh, Halloween 5 or the first Halloween where Michael's just standing near shrubs, like blending in, just watching people? I figure the shark's in here somewhere, just hanging out. So turned on the power. Now the shark attacks. So the shark was in there. The shark was hanging out, just waiting. Oh, eats him. Just figure, say, I'll just keep one person around. Oh, power's going to me and get shocked. All right, so now, you know, Rappaport's getting smushed. But just watch the scene. So, oh, and actually, I guess, do you know uh, the, the producer in this movie wanted that foot kicking like that? So now uh, Thomas Jane is is getting some air. He's going to go back down to a door. And the shark could have eaten him easily by now. But as director Rennie Harlan said, this shark is just waiting. It's hiding again. Shark's just chilling. It's relaxing. And the only reason it, it doesn't even want to eat him. He just knows that the only way he can escape is through that door. And so here comes the shark. If you just let him through easily, it'd be a little weird. So this kind of, you know, but watch. Watch this turn it takes. The shark does this on purpose. Does that. The shark could easily have eaten him. So if you're ever like, this is a lame kill, the shark just wanted that door opened. Nuts. This is nuts. So the shark knew that they were probably going to try to turn on the power. So the shark understands power. So it understands camera, understands power. Uh, this scene's really interesting. It's kind of infamous. Uh, this is a, the scene where Saffron Burroughs has to stand, strip down, stand on her. Um, what if that? If she's walking in, how does a shark get in there? Interesting. All right, so oh, that answers it. So she's going into there. Um, but this scene, Rennie Harlan didn't have it written like this. And one of the producers in the movie, actually the producers in the movie, said, "Well, we need a little skin for this movie." So. Saffron Burroughs had to strip down in this, stand on her rubber suit and electrocute a shark. And she was not happy about it. She hated it. And it was kind of interesting what Rennie Harlan had to say. Uh, he's like, yeah, she was not a fan of that. And she blamed me because, uh, you know, but I mean, I don't know if you think about it, if you're an actress and you don't have that in your actor, anybody, and that's added in there. So the scene's pretty infamous. I mean, it's kind of uh, it's kind of unnecessary. But it was added in later on when one of the oh I'm sorry it was a studio executive who came up with this. Uh, Rennie didn't like it. I mean Rennie was annoyed. He's like yeah how, he's like you know how could a woman fight a creature with clothes on? And he's like uh, so he made he doesn't like the scene during the commentary. You could tell that he kind of despises the moment, and he he said of course it's all my fault that this had to happen. So you know I mean it's that that explains the scene coming up where she does all that. Um, I don't know. I thought that was, that's a pretty interesting story about these movies. You know, you never know who is behind the scenes telling you to do what. Also, this death in here, shark gets, you know, when Saffron Burroughs kills it, gets electrocuted. Uh-oh. Hello, Cool Jays just said brothers never make it. Which, I mean, he, he survived Halloween and he survived this. I mean, he has a pretty good track record. And he, I think he survived Mindhunters. I don't know. All right, so this scene, I'm really still not sure about how the shark got in here. Uh, no, I really don't. How, how did the shark get in here? It's not that full of water, and she had to walk down into it from a dry area. So can we assume these sharks can walk on platforms? 
Because this is just a room. Plot hole. Maybe it used air conditioning vents. I mean, they seem to move in size. But yeah, this scene, she's going for her data. You have the good cat moment coming up behind her in three, two, one. Bump. Nice fake scare. I mean, I guess they set that up pretty well. It's a good bit. Uh, but next, I just don't know how the shark just pops up. It didn't have to. This shark did that on purpose. And if you look, I, I, honestly, I, I, all right, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to uh, map out this thing because there's no way the shark could have swum in there because this is an individual room with one door in. The door she walked into was dry. So yeah, the shark had to have to have flopped on. Oh, geez, Louise. The shark had to have rolled. Like, how did it get into the water without her knowing? All right, so basically what the scene is, she's in here by herself. The shark's chasing her. Uh, Rennie didn't really talk about this much. He said that they had to set up the room to, with enough obstacles so the shark couldn't get her immediately. But I think the shark, once again, is just playing games. Uh, it does the kind of boo moment right here. I mean, this shark could have easily have jumped out. All right, I gotta. Uh, if you're watching this movie with me, check out these rooms. Let me know if the shark could have come in somewhere else. Or if you're in your car, fast forward to this moment. If you're still with us, fast forward to this moment. And let me know how the shark could have gotten in here. Of course, the power's still on. They did turn it on. Wait. So those sharks chased them into the room to turn the power on. They turned the power on. And because of that, and here's the infamous scene. Saffron hated doing this. Uh, so th they turned the power on. And because of them forcing them to turn the power on, this shark gets electrocuted. So once again, they're plot. They're, I mean, they're successful in what they're doing, but two of them have died from hubris. So these sharks are really full of themselves. And plus this shark swims mouth open into a electrical thing maybe they're just not good at it yet maybe they're super smart but they're not super killers yet they don't have much experience with it i don't think the shark's really oh man that thing just tore up a desk nope there it goes what a weird scene <laughs> i mean the shark looks cool that shark so in this scene if you look up uh that shark jumped through this ceiling early on when they were doing that since it, it was so powerfully um set up when you watch those, they look like metal poles, but a lot of them are two by fours. So the shark jumped straight up in the air and wrecked the set and they had to repair it because it had tons of stuff floating around. One interesting thing about this movie, uh, in the Resident Evil films, they did an underwater scene in the fourth film. And what director Paul Anderson didn't anticipate was the paint that they used would break off when filled with water. So it made the water really murky when he originally wanted it really clear. So I wonder how they painted these sets and didn't really and still got that crisp look of water that wasn't in the commentary but that's another really kind of cool thing to to think about is how they were able to get that done so we're almost there oh oh so she came through that door never mind we figured it out we came through that door so the shark came in through the side door showed the fin i guess this is the one line i don't like in here he's like can i interrupt this moment of burgeoning intimacy just feels too written such a written moment so we're, we're almost at the end of this movie uh this is another set that rennie harlan hated he said the actors hated it he talked about october he said when, when they're shivering here they really do have what chicken flesh or chicken whatever it is 
Uh, also, oh, random, r- random thing. Rennie Harlan was saying that during the scene, there's a close up of Saffron Burrow's feet as she is walking into the water. And I guess in a lot of his other movies, even with just, you know, m- male or female, he does a lot of foot shots like Quentin Tarantino. So someone asked Rennie once if he has a foot fetish and Rennie was pretty self-reflective. And he said, I'm going to have to think about that for a while. He goes, because I guess I always do show feet. He just said he likes to show him walking around. So that's good detail. Seemed pretty squirrely to me. Maybe it's a finished thing. He also snuck in a finished flag into this movie. It's in the, during the scene where uh, Rappaport and LL Cool J hug. So that's another trivia for you. All right, so this movie, uh, Screen Junkies, they did their honest trailers for it. And they said it's one of the first Christian shark movies because uh, there's just a lot of praying and they call them demons. And uh, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous, but I don't know. I kind of like that Preacher does this. I love that Preacher stabs a great white shark in the eye with a cross uh, and he gets bit by a 26-foot shark and not ripped in half and still can survive. Originally, um, Saffron Burroughs, it was originally supposed to be Saffron Burroughs and Thomas Jane living. But test audiences hated it so much that they ended up wiping out Saffron Burroughs. I don't even think she knew. I think she didn't even know that her character got killed off because it was CGI. Uh, So she ended up getting killed and it ended up being LL and Thomas Jane living, which I'm hoping Meg 2 is about them. Thomas Jane and LL Cool J teaming up with Jason Statham and their crew to hunt down other Megs. Because why not? I mean, I... Deep blue Meg, deep blue Meg C. Two. Oh man, that'd be amazing. It will never happen. But just imagine if Thomas Jane and LL Cool J pop up in Meg 2. I mean, it made 500 something million, so they're going to make a sequel. Yeah, so right now they're going up. Uh, I do think. I'm still not sure why the shark doesn't. Well. Where is the large shark right now? All right. I decided after watching this movie, I'm going to break down the shark movements of this entire film. I uh, maybe should have done that before this commentary, but I'll write an article and I'll share it with y'all when you do this. But yeah, so these actors right now, they're about 30 feet down. Uh, I don't you know. It's probably stunt actors, but all the pressure down there just whomping on them. I mean, that's a, that's a long way up in these sets. I mean, 35 feet deep tanks. Uh, I mean, Titanic built them and they're still using them to this day which I think is pretty cool. Uh, so see, look at this. The shark is sauntering. Like it's in no hurry. I'm telling you, like hubris kills. These things would have been successful had they not gotten full of themselves. But oh man, I love these practical effects. I mean, if this shark can tell what a movie camera is, it's messing with these things right now. Or maybe it just likes fire extinguishers. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it destroyed the... I don't know. So maybe it just wants them to think they're getting a freedom... Uh, so here we go. LL's about to get bit. There's about to be a Jaws type reference, uh, from the first film. Oh gosh. I hated this scene. Yep. There it is. Jaws. So what they had to do, interestingly enough in this, they had to lock the shark's mouth so it couldn't open or close, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, I would hate to be in those shark's mouths. So right now they locked it. Uh, so the actor was just in there, uh, hoping that it didn't get chomped down on or really hurt but i mean listen like uh he's he's just stabbing it in the eye with a cross right now uh i also love that this shark has its eyes open they say when a shark attacks it closes its eyes so it can't get hurt so this shark's another pompous little thing and here we go that'd be painful 
I kind of like in this movie how characters stop bleeding. I'll show you a little later on. Man, the shark's pissed right now. It's one-eyed. I mean, what would be the problem? If, uh, what would happen if this shark escaped? And there's probably a tracking thing on it. I mean, that's how they caught it before. So, I mean, a one-eyed shark out there, how much damage could it do? Doesn't seem especially... Jer I mean, it'll probably wipe out some people. There's got to be some liability. You don't want that thing escaping. But yeah, so this thing's sinking right now. I kind of love the idea that it wanted them to to uh, shrink this building. Once they realize that it's going down further, that shark's going to escape. Um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting. They thought that that's where LL died, and then it was just the two of them. Pretty interesting. Uh, the test audiences did not like her living. They didn't like her so much they had to kill her character off, which is a pretty wild thing to ask for in a test screening. Uh, actually, this scene was a lot longer that you're watching right now. They had a lot of dialogue. Uh, I guess it was pages long, but audiences were falling asleep. So they cut it down to just the bare basics. So the t <laughs> they're just plain steel. So the sharks, the sharks know that there's a titanium fence and there's a steel fence. So they can delineate between tit titanium and steel. Yeah, I love that. An 8,000 foot Mako shark thanks to freedom? About the deep blue sea? <laughs> oh man, I love this. Uh, Alright, so here they come up with a plan. They're going to blow the shark up. The shark's attacking the, the steel fence. I mean, how expensive would it be to just have all titanium? Well, why did you even have steel in there? If you're going to make the journey. Well, it's going. But I mean, I do love these sets. I love that this action's happening. I, I like right now the shark is just, just wants to leave. I mean, it just, it just wanted out. How much, well, super smart, three super smart sharks out in the ocean. What, what would they have done? I mean, if they're smart enough to work cameras, they're going to uh, hang out. They just want freedom. Take out whaling boats. Maybe they should just let these things escape. <laughs> yeah, so in the theater around this time, later on in the movie... Um, I don't remember quite what people were chanting, but everyone was like, go LL. And with Thomas Jane, no one knew his name. So they're like, come on, guy. Man. <laughs> no one like Carter Blake. No one was going, come on, Carter. No one's yelling TJ yet. All right. So the shark's just taking this out. Battering ramming. What I don't get is these sharks can knock in iron doors, but it can't get through an iron fence. Stymied? Well, I guess you couldn't have this whole plot scene then. Yeah. I guess it would have killed... Alright, so check out this scene. She's going to do this to her hand. This scene always... You could tell this was a reshoot, because it's just really not... Um, I mean, I guess it's probably not really too um, 
smart. Jumps down. But I do like the shark when it senses it. Check out this shark's reaction in like a few seconds. Here it comes. See all the blood? That's a lot of blood. I don't know why TJ jumps in the water during this scene. Oh, there's LL. People started cheering for that. All right. So just watch this shark. Kind of love it. It's digging. He goes, what? Huh? Hey, it knows who it is. That shark just had recognition. It knows. All right. There's no chance for her to get out of the water. She's very... And, she, and now watch when she swims. No more blood. Oh, that's a cool shot. So she stopped bleeding. TJ is a great runner. He needs to run in more movies. I mean, check out this scene, man. The guy really pulls it off. Uh, hopefully he didn't have too much to drink because he was slipping around a lot. All right. So the shark's coming. Shark looks at her like, hey. Wait, wait, the shark, both the shark's eyes can work now. So I guess they forgot about LL stabbing it in the eye. I don't know why he's jumping in the water. Is he going to... Oh, there she goes. Reshoot. That was all CGI. Oh, he, man, that, he just ate that thing really fast. All right. So you jump in the water. I'm not quite sure what his plan is. So these things actually had hydraulic engines. You watch these sharks. It's just really impressive. All right, he's going to do his thing, what he did to the Mako earlier. Ready for this? He's going to do his flip. Oh, that's a cool shot. Look at that shot. Oh, man. Oh, man. Come on, TJ. All right, so what I just love about this scene, it's definitely absurd. You don't really know what he's doing. But I love how this builds the LL stepping up. And it leads to just, there's some really grim comedy in this movie. All right, so here we go. And I love how the shot goes through thomas jane's leg i mean it's just a brilliant i mean i don't know as, as far as building suspense goes i mean i just love that idea all right ll he's really recovered well oh no they did bandage him up you would think the shark would kind of swim him into something scrape him off this looks like fun though riding on the back of a shark all right so here we go I love this scene. Everyone laughed in the theater when this went through. I mean, I don't know. If you're going to write something, you know, add some suspense to it. Add some humor. This is for Scoggins. LL and Scoggins were such good friends in this movie. Or Michael Rappaport. Scoggins seems a weird name to call Rappaport. Right through the leg. <laughs> what a great scene. Oh, that's a big thing to have through your leg. All right, so... Come on, LL, you gotta do it. I've watched this movie so many times and I'm hoping that he does it. It's ridiculous. So when he goes through this fence, I never quite got it because I feel like that thing would rip right through his leg. Right here. Ooh! So much blood. Alright, so now it goes. Boom. It's a massive explosion. A lot of shark guts. What a great scene. All right, so as we're nearing the end of this movie, I just want to say thank you for uh, hanging in here with me, listening to this. I just wanted to give you something really special for Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully, you and your family are seated around the table. Uh, instead of talking during this dinner, you just listen to this. It'd be a little weird if you didn't have the movie on, but hopefully I kept it lively enough for you to just embrace 
what was going on. And if you if you are eating right now, watching, you know, if you have your football on mute, listening to this podcast during Thanksgiving Day in the States, everywhere else, you know, whatever. I hope I hope you're doing great. I hope you're watching this movie. But I hope you enjoyed this. I do love this scene, though. I like that they survive. I like their um, camaraderie. That's a lot of shark. There's no blood. I feel like a massive wound, a gaping wound. Oh, no, this looks like a flesh wound. Monty Python style. I'm going to put your hand on it. It's all right. 45-foot shark? Did you say 45? I always heard 26. I like this scene. Also, I like uh, they set it up really well for a sequel right here. Um, are there any more? These guys are good. Put them in something else. Give them another movie. I'm sure it's just three sharks. You never know. He was just used. He's just an ex-con who wouldn't ask questions. So about a billion dollars of laboratory was destroyed because three sharks wanted to escape. Here comes the rest of the crew. Quit this job. They should go form their shark fighting crew. All right. So then we got. Uh, my hat is like a shark's fin. Deepest, bluest. My hat is like a shark's fin. I won't sing this thing because you're probably watching it right now. But yeah, so I mean, this movie, I'm glad you stuck in here. Big, big producers, Akiva Goldsman, Alan Ritchie. Um, you know, Dino uh, DiVantura, he's the one who suggested a lot. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, money behind this film. And uh, well, it, was just a, it was a good time. Filmed by uh, a solid um, DP. I think it looked great. So I just want to say... Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this journey. I hope you enjoyed this film. And uh, yeah, stay tuned next for our next podcast. And uh, thank you very much for Movies, Films, and Flicks. This is Mark Hoffmeyer. I'll see you next week.